Okay, we're on. What series do we find ourselves in at the moment? Little little quiz. Ruth. Okay, and we are in our second week of a three-week mini-series, and uh, we're looking at Boaz. And uh, I thought I'd tell you a joke quickly. It's one of the corniest jokes in the book. Um, what was Boaz before Ruth? Ruthless. <laughs> oh, Bible jokes. Don't they? They have no mileage, I know, but. Um, you know, I'm a dad now, so, so I'm in the dad joke zone. Uh, so I, f- I feel like I've got that, that authority to do that. But uh, maybe just to recap, last week we looked at Naomi. And uh, remember, she, she moves to Moab. Uh, and uh, while she's there, she loses her husband and her two sons. They all pass away. And she's left with her two daughters-in-law. Their names are Ruth and Orpah. Not Oprah, no, no, very different to Oprah. And, and uh, in this devastation, Naomi decides that it's actually better for her to go back to Israel. But she tells her daughter, daughters-in-law to stay because it would be better for them. And uh, Ruth decides to go back and join her. Orpah stays, but, but Ruth is committed to that. And so they go back, they don't have much, they, they, they've really lost it all. And, and so Ruth begins to gather grain in a, in a field close by. All the leftovers just to eat, just to be able to live. And in that process meets the landowner whose name was Boaz. And uh, this relationship starts to form to the point where uh, Naomi and Ruth start chatting and saying, well, Boaz could be our kinsman redeemer, uh, which we'll understand a little bit more about later. And so um, Ruth actually suggests this to Boaz. Uh, she's quite forward in that suggestion. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the story. It's quite interesting. And just for you to understand some context, uh, not that hunk of a man, um, this was the most high definition photo I could find. Uh, I promise. Now, uh, we're going to read a story about some negotiations that happened at the city at the town gate around Bethlehem. And uh, this is what the town gate would kind of look like um, more around that area. It's not the most glorious town gate that you'd think of, um, but the next picture will also give you an idea. Uh, so, so they would actually, the, the city elders would sit around there in the gate in the in the wall and negotiate and talk about city affairs um, that's a little bit how that happens um, i always like to just pass on the buck to to my good friend hytham uh, who who has great context and and uh, i encourage you to have a conversation with him because he will unpack all the stuff that i didn't and he does it in a beautiful way um, ask him about opera as well there's a there's a great story there uh, so a bit of a picture illustration let's read from uh, chapter four so we're going at the end of the book and then next week we end with ruth in the middle um, which is which is quite a beautiful story in fact two weeks time uh, chapter 4 says meanwhile Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along Boaz said come over here my friend and sit down so he went over and sat down Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said sit here and they did so then he said to the guardian redeemer Naomi who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of the seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. 
If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. Boaz was second in line according to the Jewish tradition um, and this, this cultural practice. And he said, if you don't want it, I will redeem it. Verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Now, I'm not going to take off my shoe this morning. Um, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. And uh, I can testify and say that many people in the Middle East to this day still enjoy the, the sandal wearing, um, as I did when I was in Egypt. Long pants? You have to wear long pants. That's the respected thing, but uh, sandals go. Um, just not the socks and sandal vibe. Can we, can we leave that out of it? Okay. Um, Emma weaned me off that quite a few years ago. <laughs> Sorry, no judgment to anybody here this morning. Everyone's like secretly taking off their socks in the back there. Verse 9, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family, or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. And then verse 11, the last little bit. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epathra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Quite a story, eh? What's happening here? Well, well, Boaz is wanting to take Ruth as his wife and to, to actually be their kinsman redeemer because Ruth's husband died, because they moved back. And so there's this negotiation that happens. But there, there is a family relative who's actually first in line, who, who actually like legally has the right to marry her. Things have changed somewhat around um, particularly these parts, but things have changed. But this is how the tradition went. And so the story goes, the kinsman redeemer sounds interested to take the land. But as soon as, as Boaz mentions, oh, and by the way, um, the deal includes the redemption of Ruth. You have to take her as well, and you'll need to marry her. Suddenly, the, the Redeemer, who's first in line, says, whoa, actually, I don't want to do that. And uh, actually, she's not an Israelite. Uh, she's a Moabite, and that's not going to do well for my, my honor. And uh, it's going to cost me more. He brings up different excuses. Uh, and he says, actually, Boaz, it's fine. You can take Ruth, which is what Boaz was really wanting. And so we begin to see this beautiful redemption story, this beautiful story of, of what Boaz did and actually symbolized 
Christ's action to us. Um, through the, the passing on of a shoe, um, the handing over, that meant the deal was done. And I find this interesting how it reminds me of the law. Remember I read that at the start of the service, how, how the law the law's designed to do what the law does. It can only remind us of how we fall short. And in this case, this kinsman redeemer, he wanted the land, but actually couldn't go ahead and didn't want to ruin and didn't, didn't want to actually extend grace. And so it's this example of how the law fell short. But Boaz comes in and says, it's unconditional. I will take Ruth. I will offer my hand in marriage. I will take on all the costs. And it's this reminder of what Christ went through for us, this redemptive story. We even see that it's in the bloodline of David and of Christ in the story. And so it's these big decisions in our lives that matter. Think of some big life decisions. What you want to study one day, who you want to marry, buying a house, where do we live? But think about sacrificial choices in your life that you've had to make. Think about fostering, adopting. Maybe you have given a very generous gift before that hurt you. It was, it was a hard thing to do because it cost you something. Maybe you've given up your dreams for the sake of your child or a family member. Maybe you've committed a large amount of your time to someone. Maybe you've given your life as a missionary or within a certain ministry context. You've sacrificed what you wanted to do for what, what the Lord has called you to do. And I think about these Egyptian martyrs that I mentioned briefly about last week where we had the, the joy of visiting. Um, that is the, the Church of the Martyrs. It's about half an hour above Minya, about three hours south of Cairo. And uh, I did share last week briefly, but we, we had the, the awesome privilege of visiting this, this site. Um, and maybe just a quick recap. Uh, I think it was 2015, 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians, so, so more Orthodox, but, but committed to Christ, were doing migrant labor in Libya and uh, they were going for a stroll one day on their day off and, and they got abducted by some uh, very militant ISIS members who three days later took them onto a beach, um, knelt them all down with sacks over their heads and told them one by one to deny Christ. And one by one, just crazy, just, just, just terrible. You can read about it. Um, and the, the beautiful story well, one of the beautiful stories in this is that there was, there was one chap right in the middle here uh, who wasn't Middle Eastern in terms of his complexion. He was African. And they actually felt that, that he didn't deserve this, this sacrifice like the Middle Eastern brothers did. And they gave him the option to go. And he said, no, I will die in honor with my brothers because I will not deny my Savior. And I'm, I'm with them. Um, interesting, hey? Just a, just a fascinating story. And what is so beautiful is that an Islamic nation, about 85% Muslim, with a president who is Muslim, actually responded to this quite radically. They sent fighter jets to Libya. They bombed ISIS sites. Uh, all of these martyrs received a very special flight back home. And the, the government built this church, this monument, for the Christian church to remember. Now, that sacrifice, you know what scripture that reminds me of? 
is Philippians 1.21, which says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This verse is hard to understand when you're living in complete comfort, isn't it? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But I'm telling you, when you're in Egypt or when you're in a persecuted country and you're hearing stories about our hosts who, who 10 years ago were on the top 20 hit list in the country um, and, and they, they played us a movie of what they, what they went through. When you are in an area of persecution, this becomes a lot more real and so does your faith. And can I say this? You would actually more easily think about, of course I'd give my life. Because you're in that environment. Those guys had counted the cost. They were ready to meet their maker. I'm sure they had family. Some of them, I'm sure, I'm sure they had people at home. But in the, in the Western mindset, we battle with this thinking. In fact, you know, the, the saying goes, well, what if somebody pointed a gun to your head? What would you say? You think like, actually, what would you say in the moment? But if these guys had denied Christ and lived, they'd have to live with that. Because when Jesus is that real, he's your all, right? He's, he's everything. And so I'll say this, a sign of our maturing as Christians should be a gradual loosening on the hold that we have on life. The life that we love, the things that are on offer. It should be a gradual letting go the longer that we are Christ followers. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy wealth doesn't mean that we, that we can't have certain things. But if that stuff is, is too important for us to not release it, not let it go, if that's what the Lord calls us to do, then there's going to be a problem. Because we should slowly be falling more and more in love with Jesus. Make sense? We should slowly be falling more in love with Him. For those of us who are married, we should slowly be falling more and more in love with our spouses. Shouldn't we? I mean, if you're falling out of love with your spouse, there's a problem, and we should chat about that. But as love matures, as it becomes sweeter, you should slowly, you know, 10 years down the line, Ems and I celebrate our 10-year anniversary next month. And, and uh, I know, it flies. Time flies. Um, and I'm feeling old. <laughs> but uh, the love that you have for your wife now, or your husband now, and just how it grows in the last 10 years has been quite amazing. And so... The story goes on and the elders at the gate bless their marriage. In fact, they, they ask God to bless Ruth and her womb. They say, if it, if it is the Lord's will for you to bear children, may, may that be blessed. May that continue in the bloodline of Naomi's family, um, which leads into David. Something smells pretty good. I think it's from upstairs. <laughs> that is not part of lunch afterwards. That is first Sundays in two weeks time. All right. And, and uh, we read on from verse 13 as the story goes. It says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. See, Ruth is waiting 
for the good news. She's, she's holding back. She's waiting to see how the meeting goes. And in that moment, in that moment of that, that sandal being handed over, of this blessing happening, Ruth's life is changed forever. <laughs> because the God of Boaz becomes the God of Ruth. The wealth of Boaz becomes the wealth of Ruth. I think that's so important. Like, let's, let's talk about marriage for a moment. And uh, a little funny story. Uh, I know a wedding planner in town. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been involved with um, one or two weddings that, that she plans. And uh, she has recently, this is a crazy story, she has, she has recently released uh, a pampering, like, all-inclusive wedding package. Um, that I saw and it looked interesting I mean the price is horrendous it's like it's it's crazy but there was there was one thing that she offers in this package which just blew my mind I've never heard of it a few days before the bridal couple get married they are given an RV drip in their arm just to help hydrate them for the for the stress that comes in the wedding and a few days after they are given a second RV drip once again just just to help them to cope after all the has anybody done that in their marriage all right i mean it took a needle in your arm a medical rv drip this is what she offers and you pay for that i mean it's crazy anyway um the level of craziness that um this world comes to um bless those people but yeah it's just interesting uh if you, if you search scripture for a godly marriage, it might take you a while to actually see what you find. Because you look at Jacob and Rachel, um, who Rachel actually served a different God. And remember, who was his first choice? Yeah, but who, who did he marry first? He got tricked into it. This, this, this whole story, poor, poor Leah got left to the side and Rachel came on. Think about Abraham and Sarah, despite... The struggle to not have children. Sarah says to Abraham, won't you go and sleep with our maidservant, Hagar? Because I want a child so desperately. I mean, not, not really what you're aiming to do in a marriage. Um, you think of David and Abigail. Who was trapped in this loveless marriage with Nabal. And you, you see things. You see how, how David committed adultery. And then you see Boaz and Ruth. And you see more of a clear depiction of, of what a beautiful marriage can look like. When Boaz found his future bride lying at his feet in the dark of night on the threshing room floor, he says this, he says, Now my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> you see, in the Christian life, It's important for us to understand that in marriages, there's this idea of sacrifice. I'd like to chat a bit to the guys this morning. Okay, it does apply to us all, but uh, I think it's important that we actually aim to aspire to that of the life of Boaz and, and how he treated Ruth. Um, you know, Boaz was that guy that, that mothers would love their daughters to marry. Um, he was stable and wise and generous. I mean, he, he, he even gave Ruth food for Ruth's mother-in-law to make sure that Naomi was fed. He looked after the wider family. He was a perceptive man. He was sensitive. He was a spiritual man. He had weaned himself off the trappings of the world. And 
here's a big statement. Well, it was for me anyway. In the Christian life, everything that strips us of dependence on this world should be welcomed. <laughs> everything that strips you, that removes you of being dependent on the world, you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this trial, as James says. Thank you for this bit of suffering that I have to go through. Thank you for this actual lack of financial challenge that I have in my life right now because I get to trust you more. But we have to take big steps. You see, if we spend our life just taking baby steps and never getting off the milk, we'll never be able to start striding in faith and becoming mature. I think this is important. You know, Olive uh, still really enjoys her bottle and her blankie. Um, and at some point, that's going to have to go bye-bye. Because we can't have an adult sucking a bottle. And, and we know that that will happen. But in order to understand and enjoy the beauty of ice cream and all those great things that kids have, sometimes you've got to let go of what you have and move on to maturity and, and have a, a releasing of the things you know so well. Because God wants to take you to a new level of faith. That's so important for us. And see, Boaz was also a worthy man. True worthiness is doing in secret exactly as you would do when others are watching. And for us as guys, may we grow in maturity. May, we, may, we, may the, the coarse language, the coarse joking, the secrets that we might have, the, the holding on to, to our finances, the, the self-absorption, may those things fade away as we seek to be worthy because of what Christ did in our life. But he was, he was also a protecting man. He, he protected Ruth. He had a heart to protect them. He took responsibility. And guys, don't, don't be like those guys that you see on Instagram reels. That like when this, when this guy comes to mug him and his wife or couple, suddenly the guy just shoots off and leaves his wife. Have you seen those? Well, I've seen a few. I don't know why I'm seeing them. But like, you're like he just runs off and suddenly like there's this lady alone with this guy. It's like crazy. Um, Anyway, normally she dumps him in the video and it's over and they move on. I, I don't know if it's all scripted or not, but, but we need to have a heart of protection. We need to actually stand up. And ladies, can I, can I say this? Do the men you want to date or marry protect the women around them? Not just you. Does the man you desire care about protecting your emotions? Does he express his interest and intentions instead of being vague and flirtatious? Like, is there an intention of marriage there? Or is it just, oh, we just see where it goes. There shouldn't be a trail of confusion and wounded hearts behind him. I'm just saying this stuff. It's important for us. Is he open with his money and his finances? Or is that a, a closed book? Is he generous? Important things to, to think of when you, when you look at that in your life. But Boaz was also a redeeming man. And the, the glory of the sacrifice that he made is it was actually a sign of something far greater, a picture of Christ and what Jesus did for us and for you and me. He rose to fulfill the charge that Paul gives to all husbands. And I'd like to read this from the message. It says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. 
Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. <laughs> so how are the plans of your day ahead of you changing? <laughs> Payday is coming. No, it just... We're called to love our wives sacrificially with everything because that's how Christ loves his bride. That's how he loves us. So, so men, may we love God with all of our hearts. May we still invest in date nights, in listening, in romancing. But may we desire to love God most because when we do that, we will love our families the best. You see, Boaz was a forerunner. He, he was a forerunner of Christ. It says that they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And it's always the forerunners in life that are remembered. You think about just noteworthy people in our own country, Nelson Mandela. Think about um, the great scientist, Albert Einstein. Think about the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel. I'm not saying these people are perfect, but they were forerunners. They were strong leaders. Think about Elon Musk. <coughs> I'm not quite sure if he's crazy or sane, but he's, he's, he's definitely gifted. Think about Billy Graham, the great evangelist. Think about Mother Teresa. We remember these people, but as Christians, do we want to just be followers or do we want to be forerunners in the front, actually making the great strides, leading the pack? Do we always just want to be following somebody else and saying, well, that level of lukewarmness is all right. And so what a, what a forerunner does is they worship with all of their hearts. When there's a, a nice engaged weekend, they say, we'll be there. That's manipulation from me. Yeah, no. But they're saying, yes, I'll be there. They want to be forerunners. They, they, they want to lead. They want to seek the Lord with all of their hearts. They want to lead with Christ at the head. And for us, church, as Sunrise Church, may we be forerunners. Maybe not be wondering for too long, like, if we should give our all, if we should hold back. What does this look like? We want to be all in. We want to be all in. And uh, I just commend us as a church. Um, you know, stats generally show that church attendance happens for, for, for many churches and Christians around once a month, particularly in, in winter, about once a month. And in summer, about once to every two to three weeks, you would come to church. And, and I've been blown away just to see how, how many of us are just here week in, week out. And I have to trust that that's because of what the Lord is doing. And how He's, how he's calling you to something greater. And so I want to encourage you this week to think of Boaz. Think of the sacrifice he made. The love and commitment that he showed and how we are called to be forerunners, how we are called to make sacrificial decisions, especially over this time. How does sacrifice look to you? And is, is your grip on this world and the trappings slowly letting go? Are you ready to give your shoe? I'm in. I'll do it. And so, lots of opportunities coming up for us as a church. A big one next weekend. It, it's, it's going to be a milestone weekend. Um, it, it really is going to be good. If you long to just flow more in what the Lord has for you, come along and be part of it.
We'll take a one-week break from the Ruth series, and we'll close that off in two weeks. But uh, a lot to look forward to. Can we pray? Just take a moment just to wait on the Lord. What's He saying to you this morning? What's the sense that you're getting? What's the whisper? Lord, I pray that you would teach us and help us to fall more and more in love with you. May it not be a strive, a push. May it be a decision that we make to know you intimately with all of our heart. May we be the forerunners, Lord. May we as a church be forerunners. Loving our communities serving them, being Christ, being sacrificial like Boaz. Lord, I pray that our, our verse would be Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, and if I die, well, that's gain, because look where I go, and look who I'm with. So this morning, I pray that you would help us to release our life to find it in you. And I just sense for some of you this morning, like God is calling you to throw off the change of, of, of heaviness. It's been a heavy week. Throw off the change, throw off the burden, and run. Every day is a new day. His grace is new. And walk in that and flow in that. In Jesus' name, amen.